Well, good morning, Bell Shoals family. So glad to welcome those of you with us here at our Brandon campus and those of you who are connecting with us online. Uh, this is spring break week here in Hillsborough County. And so I know many of you are traveling or maybe you're just huddled up at home because it's so cold today. Uh, this is absolutely intolerable, and I don't know what's happened, but uh, maybe you're just joining us from home today. But uh, we have many friends of Bell Shoals who are watching from across the country and around the world. So we welcome all of you and uh, certainly glad to worship King Jesus together today and continue in our teaching series through the book of Ephesians. So if you would, just take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. If you brought a hard copy of the Scriptures today or you're reading on your tablet or your phone, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our verse-by-verse -verse study of this incredible letter found in the New Testament, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, a church that he started, a church where he labored for uh, several years, a, a, a very strategic church in a very strategic city. And we've been walking through this incredible letter to see what God has to say to us in our day and our time. And uh, it, it's been a joy. And last week we picked up really a four week study on marriage and family. We're to a point in the letter where Paul is now applying much of the foundational truths that he articulated early in the letter to everyday life and everyday situations. And so uh, over the next several weeks, we're gonna be talking about just the implications of the gospel in the home. And so last week we talked about the role of the husband and what it looks like to be a husband who is loving his wife like Christ loves the church. Uh, this morning, we'll talk about the role of the wife. Next week, the role of the child. And the last week of this section, the role of the parent. But today, we'll wrap up uh, our two-week conversation on marriage and the role of the husband and the role of the wife. And as I told you last week, th this is, this is a, a deep subject. <laughs> it's a big subject. I mean, talking about marriage in the context of roles and what it looks like to be a husband who's loving and leading appropriately and what it looks like to be a wife who is, who is respecting the husband and following his lead appropriately. Man, this is tough stuff because marriage is tough. And uh, if you recall last week, I told you that marriage is difficult because it involves people. And broken people lead to broken relationships, right? Flawed people lead to flawed marriages. That's why every single one of us who are married, who plan to be married in the future, have a difficult relational dynamic to navigate because we are imperfect. We're marrying another imperfect person. And so flawed people lead to flawed Marriages. That's why Rita Rudner said years ago, I love being married. It's so great to find that one special person you want to annoy for the rest of your life. <laughs> Thinking about wives in particular, Agatha Christie said, an archaeologist is the best husband a woman can have. The older she gets, the more interested he is in her. <laughs> Well, whatever your situation today, I believe God has a word for you. Because as we've already seen, marriage ultimately points us to the gospel. God's love for us seen in Christ's love for the church. And so whether you're single or married today, there really is a word here about 
ultimately what it looks like to follow Jesus in the context of the church, because that's what marriage is pointing us toward. And of course, if you are married today, you plan to be married in the future. As we think about the role of the wife, I hope it's encouraging to you because there is so much here for us to learn from and to be reminded of. And all of it takes place in the context of the overall relational dynamic between believers. Uh, you remember, I've, I've told you over the past couple of weeks that Paul's concern moving from some of the deep truths related to our salvation and the implications of our salvation, the fact that we were dead and now we've been made alive in Christ, the fact that we've been raised up, right? Seated in heavenly places, as Paul says, the fact that God's done so much in our lives to bring us to himself, to fill us with his spirit. Now we're, we're, we're thinking about these dynamics in the church and in the home and the dynamics all go back to what Paul said at the end of chapter four and the middle part of the first part of chapter five. And so let me take you there just before we jump into this section on marriage, because I just wanna remind us of the context. It's so very important. Remember Paul told us that we should be careful and pay careful attention to how we live, right? Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. He, he told us, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled or controlled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always to God in everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's, here, here's the key now, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And so this is the foundation on which the conversation about marriage is built. It's, it's a foundation of being filled with the Spirit. It's, it's a foundation of, of walking in wisdom. It's, it's a foundation of encouragement, of, of singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and, and, and bringing your worship to King Jesus. And then it's a foundation of mutual submission. We talked last week about the husband and how the, the husband submits to the wife, how? By loving and leading her as Christ does the church. That's a love that's born out of the unconditional love that God has for us. We talked to husbands about the importance of loving our wives unconditionally, regardless of how we feel about her in the moment, regardless uh, uh, of how she has acted or what she said, whether or not in that moment she deserves your full love. No, we're to love fully and unconditionally. We're to love sacrificially. We saw that the leadership that the husband provides in the home is a servant leadership. It's a sacrificial leadership. It's, it's not a bossy leadership. It's not an abusive leadership. It's not a selfish leadership. It's not a diminishing leadership. It is a sacrificial sacrificial servant-based leadership that leads to a faithful or an exclusive love. We talked about removing insecurity, eliminating insecurity in the heart of your wife, loving her in such a way that it's unconditional, it's sacrificial, and it's faithful, it's exclusive. There's no insecurity. We're fighting sin and temptation. We're, we're, we're resisting 
the, the overtures of others. We're resisting the temptations in the world. We are, we, we, we are communicating to her our love and our faithfulness. We're involved and engaged in the home with raising the children. We're doing all of the little things required to communicate to her that she's the only one for us. And so, and so we talked about how husbands submit to their wives in the sense that we submit to each other. Paul says we're submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And for the husband, that means we love unconditionally. We love sacrificially. We love and we lead faithfully in a servant-hearted way, just as Christ loves and leads the church. And, and this week, we're going we're gonna to talk about how wives submit to their husbands, how wives function within the role that God has assigned them to carry out a marriage that is meaningful and reflective of Christ's love for the church and Christ's commitment to the will of the Father. Now, this is a tough subject and one that's been largely misunderstood. And so I actually asked my wife to look over my notes (laughs) and to remove anything that she doesn't like or anything that she doesn't think adds up. Therefore, let me just say, in conclusion, (laughs) we're in the deep end of the relational pool, are we not? (laughs) It's not easy thinking through being a husband who truly and deeply loves and leads like Christ. That's challenging, not easy. Takes everyday effort and focus. It's not easy to be a wife who needs to submit to the husband and to respect the role that God has assigned to him. This is mutual submission. And and I want you to see today as we walk through this that both the husband and the wife have to bring something to the table. And what we bring to the table in terms of our role is ultimately reflecting the beauty of the gospel and how Christ has come to accomplish the will of the Father and how he's come in love and sacrifice to redeem a people for himself. That's ultimately what marriage is all about. And so as we come specifically, ladies, to the role of the wife, let me just say a couple things. There there has been a lot of confusion and a lot of exasperation or frustration over this idea of mutual submission and in particular the, the submission that Paul's describing here for the wife. Part of the reason for this, frankly, if I'm honest, is because there are a lot of bad husbands out there. And historically, there have been husbands who have required or demanded a type of submission that is not consistent with what Paul is talking about here. Husbands who are abusive, husbands who are demanding, husbands who are belligerent, husbands who are selfish. And, 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 and for those reasons, there, there are times where when we come to Ephesians 5, we bring that baggage with us and we say, well, what Paul means here cannot be for the good of the marriage union. But the problem is what Paul is describing here is not at all consistent with the baggage that we bring. Because as we talked about last week, Jesus never abused the church. Jesus never bossed his followers around. Jesus never abused his role or his power, right? And so what we see in the world in terms of brokenness is not 
what Paul is speaking of here. So this is not a submission from the perspective of the husband to the wife or the wife to the husband that is rooted, of course, in sin or brokenness. It's not rooted in, in uh, selfishness. No, I'm gonna describe for you something that's much better, right? And so I understand maybe some of you are new to church or maybe you're new to uh, the scriptures, you're new to the gospel. And maybe when you, when you hear these words where we're talking about mutual submission and the relationship between the husband and the wife and now the wife to the husband, it, it just brings up some memories for you or brings up some, some frustration for you maybe you grew up in a home where there was abuse or there was neglect or, or there was um, a type of selfishness on behalf of the husband that was not consistent with scripture. And I totally understand that. So part of the reason for the confusion here is just because we live in a fallen, broken world and there have been husbands who have abused this passage. And then secondly, we, we, we just don't understand what the word submit actually means. What I wanna show you today is that the word submit in the original language is not a word that means slavish obedience. That's not what this word means at all. The word submit, again, we're thinking of it in terms of both the husband and the wife, both of us submitting to each other in the fear of Christ, right? This word submit is a military term that has the idea of voluntarily placing yourself under the authority of another. It's voluntary, it's, it's not required, it's, it's not demanded, it's, it, it, it's something that's voluntary. You're, you're voluntarily, here's what it means, you're voluntarily laying aside your rights or your privileges to do what is best as a whole. In this case, of course, Paul's talking about marriage. Now, if you apply this to the gospel, you apply this to the ministry of Jesus, this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said during his earthly ministry, I have come to do the will of my father, right? Therefore, what we see here is that Jesus in coming to this earth and taking on the form of a human being, subjecting himself to the will of sinful human beings, what did he do? He laid aside his rights and his privileges in submission to the will of the Father. See, submission is not slavish obedience. Jesus willingly came. Jesus gladly came. And in so doing, he laid aside his rights and his privileges to honor the role that the father had given to him. And so when the husband submits to the wife by loving her and leading her as Christ loves and leads the church, what do we do at times, husbands? We lay aside our rights and our privileges to show the kind of unconditional love that at times our wives do not deserve. And for the wife, we're gonna see here, carrying through this idea of mutual submission, that the wife voluntarily places herself under the leadership of her husband, respecting the role of leadership that God has assigned to him, the role of ultimate responsibility for the home and for the family. And so I just want us to understand whether you come to this text with some baggage or whether you have just in the past misunderstood what it means to submit, that, that, that what we're gonna look at today is an honest evaluation of what Paul has communicated here because when you see God's design, it works. It works. And so we're not talking about some kind of slavish obedience. We're not talking about some kind of subjectivity to uh, abuse or selfish leadership. No, we're, we're talking about mutual submission where each one, the husband and the wife, come together in love, in leadership, and in respect so that the marriage relationship functions 
appropriately. And so if you're taking notes, let me kind of give you our key takeaway, then I'll get to what Paul says here. Here's what we're gonna see today, that the wife submits to her husband by respecting his role in the home. We see this why Paul comes back at the very end of Ephesians 5 and he talks about the husband loving his wife and the wife respecting her husband. Why? Because the wife shows this submission to her husband by respecting the God-given role that he has in the home. Remember last week we talked about the husband submits to the wife by loving her as Christ loves the church, leading her as Christ leads the church, unconditionally, sacrificially, faithfully, this week, the wife we see shows her aspect of submission to her husband by respecting the God-given role that he has assigned for the husband in the home. All right, let's go to the text. Let me show you how Paul carries this idea through. And this is important because in the original language, this word is not there in verse 22. It's carried over from verse 21. So grammatically, we're tied together, okay? Remember when you read your Bibles that there were no original chapters or verses, okay, in the text. So when Paul wrote this letter, it all flows together, right? And, and so when we come from verse 21 to verse 22, the same verb is carried over. It's implied. Wives, literally, to your husband. So we show mutual submission. Wives submitting, that's, that's supplied here. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. That's very important. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. And as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And so let me break this down, kind of like I did last week talking to husbands in three areas, trying to help us understand what this means. All right, first of all, make a note of this. I want you to see submission is about relinquishing your rights, ladies, not shrinking your significance. Now, this is huge. Just taking a biblical view of this idea of submission, as I've already said, rightly understood, what does it mean? Well, it's about relinquishing your rights, not shrinking your significance. I told you last week, I'm gonna say it again this week, that what Paul is describing here in terms of husbands and wives is radical in the context of the first century world. It's radical. The fact that husbands are charged with the responsibility of submitting to their wives through unconditional, sacrificial, and faithful love was radical. That was not the norm in the first century Roman culture. The fact that wives are given equal treatment and equal time here as equal partners in the marriage is not normal in the Roman culture of Ephesus. You need to understand that women had no rights in the Roman culture in which they lived during this time, no rights. It was literally like they didn't exist. They could not have full citizenship. There in the Roman culture of Ephesus, marriage was simply contractual. And guess what? The contract only favored the men. The women had no rights. Husbands in certain contexts in the Roman culture of Ephesus could even sell their wives into slavery. This is the culture of Rome. Let me give you a quote from someone who wrote during that day and time about marriage. Here, here's a quote in the context of the Roman culture of Ephesus, okay? Marriage brings only two happy days. The day when the husband first clasps his wife to his breast and the day he lays her in the tomb. Yeah, you're not gonna see that on any Valentine's Day cards. 
I mean, that's brutal, isn't it? That is brutal. That's the culture in which Paul is giving this instruction to the church. I'm telling you, if you understand what's happening in Ephesus with these first generation Christians, Paul's describing something radical that the husband would see the wife as an equal partner and bring love and faithfulness and sacrifice to her. That's radical. That's not how things worked in Ephesus. The fact that the wife is given equal instruction and equal treatment here, that she has a role to play, that she's showing mutual submission by respecting the God-given role of her husband. This is huge. This is not normal. Let me, let me just say it this way. If you want to understand historically who brings value to women, you need to look only at the message of Christianity because you won't find it anywhere else. And so the idea that somehow Paul is devaluing women or wives is, is missing the point entirely. No, it's through the gospel, it's through the message of Christianity that men and women are given equal status, equal value as equal image bearers. And Paul is talking to both husbands and wives here as equals. This is huge. So he's not talking about shrinking your significant ladies in your role. He's talking about simply relinquishing your rights. Now you may wonder, okay, what was it like in the Jewish context? Maybe the, the, the Jewish converts who were there in Ephesus. Well, it wasn't a whole lot better. It was better, but not a whole lot better than the, than the Roman culture. A common Jewish prayer that men would pray in the morning was this. Thank you, God, that you made me not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. So the Jewish context wasn't a whole lot better than the Roman context. Women could divorce their husbands, but for very, very, very few reasons, and they were rather extreme. Men, on the other hand, could divorce their wives for pretty much any reason at all, and then could remarry. What you find in the first century is a context where women were not valued as equal partners. And then all of a sudden, a man named Jesus shows up. And what do you see recorded for us in the ministry of Jesus? the prominence of men and women. There were some precious women who were in Jesus's inner circle, mentioned frequently by the gospel writers. Women were also important in the church and given equal dignity and respect. Do you remember when Jesus took the time to speak to the Samaritan woman and his disciples show up and they're shocked that he's speaking not only to a Samaritan, but to a woman. Jesus valued women. Women were the last to leave the cross scene and the first to arrive at the empty tomb. We see women holding strategic roles in the church, equal partners, God using and blessing. We see Paul here in this instruction saying, in the context of mutual submission, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, as that relates to husbands, it means sacrificial, unconditional, faithful love. As it relates to the wives, it means respecting the leadership responsibility that God has given the husband. But both, the husband and the wife, both men and women are given equal dignity and equal status. They have equal worth. 
That's why if you go all the way back to the beginning, right? If you go all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve, what happened there in the garden after God created man? God creates man. He's there on the earth. He's, he's brought all these other incredible created beings. I mean, God's glory is seen in the world that he's made. There's the man naming the other creatures. And there's this dynamic of God working with the man. And there's this incredible scene. But there's a problem. The problem is the man is alone. And God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. You say alone, hello, he wasn't alone. He was surrounded by all these created beings, but he was alone in this sense. There was no one who was his equal. The created beings were not Adam's equal. He's an image bearer made in God's image. He's made with a capacity to know God, to relate to God. He has a moral compass, right? He has a conscience. He has an awareness no other created being has. Adam's uniquely made in the image of God, and he's the only one on the face of the earth who's made that way. So even though he's surrounded by other living beings, he's described as being alone. Isn't that cool? And so God makes what? An equal for him, another, a woman. Equal, same, taken from his side, not his head, not his feet, his side. They're equal. And then finally, Adam meets his wife and he says, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In other words, this is one like me, my equal. I'm no longer alone. And so you say, where does dignity come from in terms of a global perspective, a societal perspective, I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from the message of Christianity that has always taught that men and women hold equal dignity and equal value. We don't have the same roles, but we have the same value. So I want us to understand, we come to this issue of submission in the home, both from the perspective of the husband and the wife, we see equal value. We see specifically thinking about the role of the wife, that it's not about, submission is not about uh, shrinking your significance. It's simply about relinquishing your rights. And when you see how both the husband and the wife have equal value, but not the same roles, you see how God has fit men and women together to accomplish something collectively that they could not accomplish on their own. And that is what's so cool about the marriage relationship. I love my wife. I love what she brings to our marriage. I love what she brings to our family. For example, she turns the thermostat up, I turn it down. It's a beautiful partnership. Anybody else live in that world? She turns on all the lights in the house, I turn them off. <laughs> it's a beautiful partnership. Actually, when you come to see, I man, just the blessing of what she brings to the table and what our wives bring to the table, like it's, it's just a dynamic that we, as men, we could not accomplish on our own. Like, you think about in the context of family, we're gonna talk next week about the role of a child and the following week, the role of a parent. Listen, when you think about how God's designed a home, isn't it a beautiful thing to see the presence of both a father and a mother? They both bring something needed to the table, right? Yeah. Children need both. And contrary to what's out there in the world today, listen, children need both an engaged father and an engaged mother. One's not better than the other, Children need both. And marriage needs both, obviously. A, a husband who's loving and leading like Christ 
with unconditional love, sacrificial leadership, faithful commitment, and a wife who's submitting to the husband by respecting the God-given role that he has to lead the home and to bear ultimate accountability. So ladies, it's not about shrinking your significance. It's just about relinquishing your rights. That's the nature of biblical submission. Now, secondly, make a note of this, okay? Submission is about the husband, not all men. All right? Submission is about the husband, not all men. So we go here to the, back to the text. Notice Paul, Paul says here, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This is important. As to the Lord. You're not to submit to any other man. This is not women submit to all men. No, this is wives submit to your husband. We're talking about roles in the home. This is not wives submit to all men. This is not women, you are inferior to men. This is no, nothing like that. This is wives in the context of your marriage. You show mutual submission by respecting the leadership role of your husband, him exclusively. It's a personal exclusive submission. Submission is about the husband, not all men. And so let me, let, me, let me just clarify why this is so important. I encourage you to take this down. Okay, listen to me. Submission enables leadership. If no one submits, no one leads. And what I want you to see, and I know this is countercultural, so just send all your emails to jasonmilsaps at bellshoals.com, all right? He'll be happy to answer him. I know this is countercultural, but I'm just telling you, if no one submits, no one leads. And the husband is to submit through unconditional love, sacrificial love, right, and leadership. Just as Christ loves and leads the church, the wife is to respect that leadership assignment that God has given to the husband. And so, ladies, your submission to respect your husband's leadership, your husband's, not all men, this doesn't apply to any other man in your life, your husband, right? Is ultimately about bringing a picture of the gospel and functioning smoothly and graciously in your home because submission enables leadership. If no one submits, no one leads, right? And so, and so that's why Paul says, ladies, this is very, very important, submission is to the Lord, May I just remind you that your submission to your husband is not as important as your submission to Jesus, nor does it replace it. This is not submit to your husbands and not to the Lord. No, no, no. You submit to the Lord first, right? Your, your husband does not trump Jesus. <laughs> not that you need that reminder, but I, I just want to go ahead and put that out there, all right? So, so it's Jesus first, then your husband. And so what Paul is saying, you submit to your husband with the same spirit that you submit to the Lord. And, and therefore here, this is huge. Therefore your, your submission is limited to honoring King Jesus. That means where there are moral, physical or spiritual dangers, you are not to submit because your submission is to the Lord. If you have a husband who says, don't read that Bible, don't go to church, don't worship Jesus, you have a husband who is for some reason pushing corruption or some type of illegality, if you have a husband who is abusive, do not allow any nincompoop to quote Ephesians 5 as to a reason that you should submit in those situations. That is not what Paul is describing. Paul says we show mutual submission, 
Husbands to the wives through love, leadership, commensurate with that of Jesus. Women, submission that respects the leadership assignment that God has given the husband, the accountability that God's given to the husband as to the Lord, meaning it's limited in scope to eliminate anything morally, physically, spiritually that would dishonor the Lord. Pastor John Piper said it this way. I love this. Lean in here. This is a great quote. The basic meaning of submission would be this, to recognize and honor the greater responsibility of your husband to supply your protection and sustenance, be disposed to yield to his authority in Christ and be inclined to follow his leadership. The reason I say that submission means a disposition to yield and an inclination to follow is that little phrase, as to the Lord, which limits the scope of submission. Submission. She can show by her attitude and behavior that she does not like resisting his will and that she longs for him to forsake sin and lead in righteousness so that her disposition to honor him as head can again produce harmony. And so in this mysterious parable of marriage, the wife is to take her special cue from God's purpose to the church in its relation to Christ. Now, sometimes, ladies, your husband is a reluctant leader, perhaps, because he's abdicating responsibility. But sometimes the husband is a reluctant leader because the wife refuses to let him lead. And I understand there are times where it can be difficult to let your husband lead. <laughs> someone said years ago, a husband is someone who, after taking out the trash, gives the impression that he just cleaned the whole house. <laughs> I saw a guy put this on social media. This is a direct quote. He said, my wife told me to grow up. I was speechless. It's hard to say anything when you have 45 gummy bears in your mouth. <laughs> It's not always easy to defer. It can be difficult to defer. I get it. But this is God's design. Ladies, your husband bears the God-given burden of leadership in your marriage and in your home. And if he's abdicating that responsibility to lead, that's on him. But if you take in a posture and a disposition to not let him lead, that's on you. And that's why Paul says this is mutual. The husband loving and leading like Jesus, the wife respecting the God-given role, just like the church respects Jesus and follows him, right? And, and so whether it's difficult to defer or, 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 or whether it's a point of growth, whatever the case, this is God's design, the husband and the wife working together to ultimately portray the beauty of Christ's love and leadership of the church. And so, so what is submission? It's not, it's not a shrinking of significance, right? It's, it's simply a, a relinquishing of rights. What is it? It's, it's, it's submission that's aimed at one man, the husband, not all men. This is personal, it's confined to the home. And then third, and finally, look, look at this. I just want you to see submission is about order, not obedience. Another misunderstanding. This submission is about order, not obedience. Let me, let me prove this to you, okay? In, 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 uh, in seven days, next week, we're gonna talk about the command that 
Paul gives children in the home. And what is that command? How do children show mutual submission? They obey their parents. Different word than submit. Paul does not say wives obey your husbands in the Lord. That's not what he says. He's going to say, we're gonna see this next week, children obey your parents in the Lord. That's not what he says to wives. It's not obedience, it's order. It's mutual submission given to respect the role that God has assigned to the husband. It's mutual submission to the wife to see that there is a deference required, a relinquishing of rights, a willingness to follow the leadership, the God-given leadership to the husband. And we know that when the husband is leading and loving like Jesus, it's a pleasure to follow, not a burden, okay? But nevertheless, we see here, this is about roles and it's about order in the home. It's not about obedience, totally different word. And ultimately, of course, this is about the mystery of Christ and the church. Let me just remind you what Paul says at the end of this. We looked at this last week, but let me show you again, Ephesians 5, 32. This mystery, remember, something that was not fully seen or known in the Old Testament, but now has been revealed in Jesus, right? It's profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so to sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself and the wife is to respect her husband. We're talking about order. We're talking about roles. We're talking about functionality. We're talking about how God has taken two people who are equals and place them in a marriage relationship that ultimately reflects his love of the church and his leadership of the church so that there is an order that brings functionality. Let me tell you why our marriages struggle. This is the, if I could just reduce it down to this, it's very, very simple because we step out of our God-given assignments. That's it. You say, okay, what's the one reason our marriages end up in messes at times. Very, very simple. You have men who abdicate leadership. You have men who fail to love like Christ. You have wives who fail to follow the leadership of their husband, or they try to assume it in a way that's not becoming. At some point in time or another, we get in trouble in our marriage because the husband or the wife or both, we step out of order in God's design and we end up in a mess. And therefore, I want you to see mutual submission is about order, not obedience. This is why our marriages get messed up. We get out of order. By the way, it's why our world is messed up. Can I just take you back to the very beginning? What happened when sin entered the world? Again, if I'm oversimplifying, listen to me. Things got out of order. The serpent was allowed to exercise leadership and authority over the woman that he was never intended to have, correct? Out of order. The woman listened to the serpent. The woman was allowed to have an authority over the man, the husband, that was out of bounds. Adam abdicated his leadership of his wife out of order. And when Adam ate next to his wife, he exercised an authority over God that was out of order. Serpent over the woman, woman over the man, man over God. Say, why did sin enter the world? I'll tell you why sin entered the world, because we got things out of order, totally out of order. And the greatest failure of the man in the garden was that he abdicated his leadership role by allowing his wife to eat 
and to give in to that deception. He did not stand up for her. He did not own the situation. He was willing to lean into the temptation in this way. Let's see if she dies, and if she doesn't, then I'm good. And she ate and didn't immediately die, and so he thought, I'm good. I can be like God. And in that moment, devastation reigned. What did Adam do? He abdicated leadership. What did the wife do? She assumed leadership. She leaned into the temptation of the serpent and she assumed the role of her husband. She took the lead. She took the first bite. And therefore, everyone being out of order brought sin into the world and ultimately chaos. And then God showed up. And listen to me very, very carefully. When God showed up on the scene, who did he ask for? The man. Did he take the first bite? No. Was he the first to sin? No. But was he ultimately responsible? Yes. When God showed up, he didn't ask for Eve. He asked for Adam. And what did Adam do? He maintained the disorder. Wow, that wife you gave me. Well, the serpent, Eve said, so things are out of order. But Paul, same Paul who gave us Ephesians 5 in Romans 5, check this out. When he described how sin entered the world, look at what he says. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people. Can I just point this out? Just as sin entered the world through one man, not woman, not couple. Are you with me? Just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam was responsible. Adam abdicated leadership. Adam did not love his wife so as to protect his wife. Adam thought that he could be in the place of God. And therefore, Adam, as the head of the marriage relationship, was ultimately responsible. When God showed up in the garden, he asked for Adam. Paul, looking back, talking about how sin entered the world and sin spread to all, it came through one man, not one woman, not one couple, one man. Adam, responsible, abdicated his leadership, but the woman assumed a leadership that was not hers to assume. And because everyone got out of order, chaos reigned. And that sadly is not the end of the story because when sin entered the world, it brought dysfunction and chaos. And therefore, when God spoke to the woman and he told her what the fallout would be of sin in the world, here's what he said. He said, I will intensify your labor pains. Remember this? And then he said this, and and your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. That word desire is also used in Genesis 4 of Cain. When God said to Cain, remember Cain who murdered his brother Abel? God said to Cain that sin's desire is for you, but you need to rule over it. That word desire has a negative connotation. It's not like good desire, it's evil desire. It's a desire to rule over. It's a desire to master. And God said, Eve, because you put things out of order, because sin is into the world, it's gonna have massive implications in your marriage in this way. Labor pain will be intensified as a reminder of the fall. And secondly, you are going to have to navigate this desire to lead. but that's not my design. And so fast forward now to Ephesians 5, Paul intersecting brokenness with the gospel in the home. What does he say? Men, step up and lead like Jesus. 
That's not bossy, that's not abusive, that's not selfish. You love and lead your wife like you love and lead yourself. That's how Jesus loves and leads you. Ladies, even if your husband's abdicating leadership, it is not your role to assume it. Learn from Eve. Learn from that curse given to the world and to the marriage that there's gonna be a desire, an evil desire to step in, to reduce the role of your husband, to assume something that's not yours to assume. When you do that, you invite more brokenness into your marriage. So Paul says, husbands, submit to your wives in this way. Love them, lead them unconditionally, sacrificially, faithfully. Wives, submit to your husbands in this way. Respect the God-given role as head of your family that God has assigned to him. If there's not a moral, spiritual, or physical threat, respect your husband's leadership, even in disagreement, and defer, and encourage him and his leadership. Because ultimately, he will give an account to God, not just for himself, but for you, and your children. And in this way, when things work together, then God is glorified and the gospel is promoted. This is what it means to come together in mutual submission. So ladies, let me just give you a little application, all right? First of all, let me just encourage you just to defer to your husband when it's appropriate and to help him lead in a manner that honors Jesus. He needs you. He needs your help. He needs your prayers. He needs your encouragement. He's not perfect. None of us are, but he needs you. And by deferring to his leadership, as God has described here, it will put a burden on him to love and to lead appropriately because ultimately he's gonna give an account. So defer in a way that respects his role and that encourages godly leadership. Secondly, can I just, ladies, encourage, please don't tear down your husband to your children. Don't tear him down to your friends. That dishonors him in the role that God has given to him. It's easy to beat up on husbands. Our culture makes it all the more easy. But let me encourage you to honor your husband, to respect the burden that he carries, the leadership responsibility God's assigned to him. And although there are times to have a confidential conversation with someone who loves you and cares for you, and there's a time to vent and to say things that you're feeling to someone that you can trust, just demeaning your husband and tearing him down with your kids or with others in your life just for the sake of feeling better in that moment, that, that does not honor him. May, may I encourage you to be honest with him without being disrespectful or argumentative? And just remember, he, like Adam, is responsible for you in your home. And if God were to show up today <laughs> and knock on the front door of your home and require an account as to where your family is currently, make no mistake about it, when someone answers the door, he's asking for your husband. You answer the door, he's asking for him. Your kids answer the door, the Lord's asking for him. And so my encouragement to you is to see how things work together to help him to win. If you're married to someone who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't love the Lord, maybe currently not following the Lord, let me give you a, a verse from 1 Peter 3. This is what, how Peter says it. Just... 
Submit yourselves to your own husbands. Again, not a shrinking of significance, but a respecting of roles. So that this, even if some disobey the word, they might be won over without a word by the way their wives live. That posture of respect. As John Piper said, that disposition to yield, that, that attitude, that tone, that encouragement, that even if he's not faithfully following, he might see by the way that you interact with him and others, the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. And so it's not easy from the perspective of the husband or the wife, but listen to me, it's possible because when we follow the order that God has assigned, it works. Now, if you don't believe me, go do it your own way this week. And I look forward to getting your apology the week after. <laughs> no, just trust me, trust me. We only get ourselves into trouble when we get out of God's order, right? And, um, and so we need to pray for his help in this. Let me give you one more word from Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther. Here's what he said. Let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. <laughs> That's what we're after. To submit to each other in love, for the men to submit to their wives in leadership that's sacrificial and faithful and for the wife to show mutual submission through respect and through honoring the role that God has assigned to the husband. When we put things in the right order, it works.